welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. If you're new to this, hello, uh, welcome. Do take a seat. Uh, if you've come here by accident and, and you're not quite prepared for the next hour or so, uh, I'll tell you how, how things uh, work. Um, I, I have a conversation with someone roughly once a week and I bring it to you. But I will caveat that by saying my wife and I are moving house at the moment. We're in a bit of a crazy process. We have two children, one two months old. We have two dogs and we're currently living with um, my in-laws, my wife's parents. You added that up. Um, It's crazy at the moment. And uh, I'm glad you're here for this episode, though, because Christopher Guest is astonishingly... He's an astonishing writer. He's led an astonishingly interesting life and he's got a a lot of astonishingly cool things to say. Uh, I mean, where do you start with Christopher Guest? If you're anything like me, you were probably, uh, I don't know, blown away by Spinal Tap the first time you saw it. And then, you you know, I got older and watched the, you know, uh, Best in Show or For Your Consideration or Waiting for Guffman, any of those incredible movies uh, that he's in uh, and writes. Uh, he talks a lot about in this about improvisation. We talk a lot about politics in the beginning. Uh, obviously, he's an incredibly worldly guy. You know, he he's very generous as well with his time. So we really get down into it. And I think you're going to really, of course, I always say this in every, every episode. I think you're really going to get something from this, but which is obviously the aim of every conversation that I have with with people. But I think that this this is a this is a big one for me um, personally, and. Um, I had a chat with Mark, the singer from The Levelers, the other day. And what happened there was was great. We had a great chat, but I turned into a massive fanboy. I think I'm less fanboy with Christopher Guest, which is just weird when you consider. But anyway, um, yeah, I wonder how you have been doing. Like I said, I have been moving house slash hunkering down in Suffolk in like a waiting pattern before we go to the actual house so it's been completely mental but I I did walk 15 miles the other day and four miles two days uh, after per day it's fantastic I'm really getting into it and another thing guys take a deep breath for this one because I don't know whether it just sounds too much and I don't know whether it's going to make you feel sick or whatever or like just oh why are you telling us this um I started working out. Now, why would that make you feel sick? I don't know. But normally when someone starts telling me about their own personal workout habits and stuff, I just generally get a little bit like, go go away, go and stand over there. You belong in that fucking gym section. You belong in that long distance running category. You belong in those fancy trainers, you, you know, awful vests, Nike. You, you, you belong over there. Just do it. Just all that. But I've, I've had my head turned. I've had it turned. You, you will be aware that I'm a Peloton guy, so when the Peloton gets going again, that's probably where I'll be headed. But I've got to just start working out. It's it's crazy. And walking a lot. I, I just think I, what I did was when we first moved here, moved here, when we first came to stay at Laura's parents, I was very much like, I could drink all night. I could drink all night. I could drink all day. This is kind of like holiday. And... There could li- the bottom could literally fall out if I'm not careful. 
And then I started looking at my waist and I was like, Jesus Christ, I still haven't shedded the weight that I gained when, when I went on holiday in September. So anyway, I, I, I don't know what you're up to, but I think it's a part of it. Is it a New Year's resolution thing? I don't know. But are you trying to do something different in lockdown? Are you trying to kind of, I don't know, try and face positivity, try and face change head on and, and do something about it? And if you are, you know, good, good for you. Because physical activity is damn hard. You know, there aren't there aren't that many instructors out there that, that actually just say, hey, you know what, this is just going to be painful. I don't think there's going to be garner an awful lot of fun from this because if you really, really want to lose weight and tone up and stuff, it's freaking brutal. But what I have been doing is listening to podcasts while I'm working out, um, which is quite cool. And I would say if you do enjoy this conversation with Christopher, then there is another one that I did with Michael McKean. Michael, you will know again, who's worked a lot with Christopher Guest and um, was in Best Call Soul and a whole bunch of other stuff um, recently. It, and what a conversation. But my point is that when you're working out or when you're doing something, it, it's hard. It's good to take the constant, that concentration away because there's no way your brain... I can't focus completely when I'm working out, I can't, or when I'm writing, or when I'm doing anything, I'm all. There's always some part of my brain that is floating around doing something else. Maybe that's why I find working out so hard. Maybe that's why I only got three GCSEs, and maybe that's why I've been gardening my entire life. <sighs> Jesus. Anyway, enjoy this chat with 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 Chris Guest. You're gonna love it. Um, like I said, do check out other ones, and you know, share the podcast, guys, if you can. It'd be so kind of you. You know, or find me on Instagram, the Limehouse Podcast on Instagram, or on on Twitter at Limehouse Pod. Always love to hear from you. Ain't that the truth? Anyway, God, uh, look after yourselves. Enjoy the chat, and hopefully, I will see you soon. Rock on and tap into America. Hello. Hello, Christopher. Hello, young man. How are you? <laughs> I'm very good. It's not slightly exhausted. My God, it's so funny. You know this thing with Zoom. It's uh, it's it's it's. I think it's slightly impersonal, but also quite convenient as well because people tend to relax more when they're at home, don't they? Uh, it depends. It depends who you're talking about. I think. Uh... It could be true, but then I think there are people who are uncomfortable everywhere. Yes, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. There are people I tend to try to avoid, but uh, yeah, it's I'm I'm in my uh, undisclosed uh, location, which is but this is an office where I I do uh, I never write here. Funnily, or not, it's not that funny, but I don't ever write here. But I play music. I record music here. And I tie flies here. Uh, That's what I do. Fishing in this space. Yes, I'm a I'm a fly fisherman, and behind me, there is where I tie flies, yeah. which I do uh, several hours a day. Uh-huh. Well, it's so therapeutic. Um, is it? 
or is it mad is it madness or is it therapeutic well let me show madness well I don't know if madness is a little severe. Yeah, I mean, this is that whole eccentricity, madness. Uh, you know, the the the, the blur, the lines blur. <laughs> oh my god! What? It, that's a hook, right? It is. It's a fly. Um, it, it's hard to even focus on it. It's so small. Yeah. This would fit Jesus on a. Christ, uh, that's tiny. How do you let you thread yeah. that? That's absolutely minute. Well, yes, that's. But then there are many thousands of versions of this. I've been doing this for a long time, and I uh, spend a lot of time on rivers and various things. So that's one of the things I do. And then I play music every day and record almost every day. You know, that sounds like a pretty good rhythm of life to me, Christopher. And it's really not that much different in this COVID time because I do it anyway. I, the thing missing is that I would normally uh, be skiing now. I ski every winter yeah. uh, through the winter. Uh, but we're choosing not to go because of this thing. Uh, but otherwise, everything is fairly much what it yeah, is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, the thing is, you just you just touched on COVID. And frankly, we've just gone into another... You know, we've gone into a tier. Well, we have a we yes. have a tier system in the UK. I'm not too sure what it is for you for you chaps, but well, it's 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 um, not quite the same. But I read every day. I read uh, all the BBC websites and I read the the Guardian. And so I'm I'm up to date every single day on that. We have a less well. We have a system where state by state governors can decide what they want to do yeah. and in some states they say what do you mean and some scientists would say well we have this problem and they say i don't really think we do i don't see what you're talking about so we have a situation where maybe a third of the states and maybe 50 million people think that this isn't really a thing yeah uh, even though their own where they live is suffering and there are no hospital beds left, but it, it will take, uh, so that's its own thing. I, I always say to people, having grown up back and forth between London and, and New York City, uh, I say to people in America, I say, can you imagine in our country, Darwin being on the money? Good Lord. And that seems to be this jolting, thing to say because of course not that would never ever happen couldn't happen and it's an interesting demarcation of societies i guess no absolutely i think that's where we are at the moment i think that um i mean trump brexit and what have you and then the different factions of covid where we are right now is it it does um i don't i don't know what i don't i don't know if the phrase is, is correct or not and I don't know if I'm out of bounds by saying it, which I probably am, but it seems to be uh, sorting a lot of uh, the wheat from the chaff in terms of mental, uh, I don't know about dissonance or cognizance or anything like that, but I think it's in terms of just like, do you really think that this was a conspiracy? Do you? Okay, then. You but you, you go over there and I'm going to go over here. Do you really think Brexit was a good idea? Okay, then you go over here and I'll, I'll just stay Stay here, buddy. Well, the biggest problem is, intellectually for me, is 
um, comes down to a story I heard from a friend. This is a, a friend uh, who is a, uh, he's a writer. It doesn't matter what he does. And he told me that, and this is a year ago, uh, that a woman that works for him in some kind of, I think, tax capacity in getting his books together or whatever. And somehow she said, well, but this, you know, the Constitution says this is a Christian country. Yeah. My friend said, well, it's, that's actually not in the Constitution. And she said, it is. And he said, why don't we check? And he took down an encyclopedia and looked through it. And she paused and she said, they changed it. <laughs> and it's a stunning thing because then it's, I don't know if he said anything after that thing. Who, who changed it? Someone changed the encyclopedia? Because if you took that person to Philadelphia where it's hanging, the original one, yeah. She would say they changed, hmm. and now you get into this rabbit hole of. So to me, the discussion it can't it can't be a discussion because if there are no empirical facts about anything, then there can't be a discussion about anything because someone can just say I don't think. That's well, that's is that absolutely it. And it's what you were saying, but you can't just. How do you live in a world where you say, okay, you're. In a sense, that's what we're doing anyway. We're living in the in the in the orbits that we're living in. <clears throat> Depending on what you do, if I direct movies and I write movies, I work with people that I'm think are talented, and I support musicians, and we give money to things that we think are viable. But we can't influence this other thing. Yeah. There is no way because it's not about logic, and that's the. Uh, distressing thing i think you're absolutely right i think um i mean you know i know this is going politically massively political but this is the theme of where we are right nowadays nowadays and i think it's okay to have i think it's more than okay to have an opinion if you don't have an opinion right now i mean what in the name of god are you doing but you, you know the well but an opinion based on what so if precisely. someone says my yeah. is that no one has died in these hospitals that's all made up exactly as they did with this tragic one of hundreds of tragic gun events in, in this country where these children were murdered i think 30 children yeah. were, were killed and these a group of people said that never happened yeah it was it was actors now the families of those children. One of the one of the dads sued and actually won a lawsuit this last year because this uh, this false information was <clears throat> being put out there, and he he and his wife lost their four or five year old. And there are enough people saying this didn't happen. And now, how do you have that? Is that an opinion? Right. Well, I could have an opinion that that I'm from another planet and I'm. Whatever. I mean, you can say whatever. But do you, but want. as a writer uh, yourself, and um, and all the rest, I mean, what don't the, the the I suppose the commonality that people have with um, Brexit and well, not so much Brexit, but especially over in in parts of Trump Trump's America, well, you know, not not for long, but was it's beyond parody. And do you, as uh, someone who is so aligned with 
sending up certain aspects of society or not sending it up but looking at it in more of a comedic forensic way do you look do you think trump is is beyond parody oh absolutely i think there's a newspaper here called the onion yeah it's a quite famous um, humor periodical it used to be something you would actually buy and, and hold in your hands and then it was online and it was brilliant it was is i mean it exists in a different place in a sense because you can't parody politics anymore no there are certain things you cannot you can parody a specific group of people uh, i'm interested in very arcane hobbies and i do one myself which a lot of people would say well you're you've lost it because you're sitting there putting little feathers on a and that's okay you can say that i'm fascinated with that world uh, and and i was watching a video of a man restoring a watch and he lived in england lives in england and he restores watches and this was a half hour video of him doing this thing. Now, you can parody someone's fanaticism in terms of their this world they get into, but you can't parody politics anymore because it's it's you how can you how can that be done? And I was thinking probably about 8 or 10 years ago of doing a small town. I did a small town that was a where a theater production was put on. It's a movie called Waiting for Guffman, and it's about this small town in mid-America, and I play this person who's trying to put on this show, and they have this feeling that they can go to Broadway, and it's it's about people who are <laughs> in denial about, about a number yeah. of things. But I was thinking then about doing a show about a small town, and it was about their politics, because I... I know that that's really not that different than on a grander scale you can take a small town anywhere, absolutely and it's just it's the same uh there are people who think that they are above everyone else and whatever is, it is, is it, and wherever you go. sorry to interrupt christopher but that is just the absolute point though isn't it it's like we're, we're we are all ourselves in little echo chambers and different orbits as you touched on um but quintessentially, we're all just like little in little towns. We're all just, you know, and that, that fascinates the hell out of me. And I think that's what you do so well in your writing. Well, I agree that people stay in their lanes. I just read a quote just before I came on to do this. Here's the quote. Let me see if I can find this because this is quite... Interesting. I'm doing two things at the same time, which is. You can, I mean, you, you know, you comment if you, you commentate on on the texture of the book or the quote, and, and you can commentate whilst you're looking at art. This, this this is a. Oh, it's a phone. Okay. Well, it comes up because I get sent to me every day a dictionary, uh, a definition of something. Good thing to do. And they always include a quote as well. And this, this says, the tragedy in the lives of most of us is that we go through life walking down a high-walled lane with people of our own kind, the same economic situation, the same national background and education and religious outlook. And beyond those walls 
all humanity lies, unknown and unseen, and untouched by our restricted and impoverished lives. From Florence Luscombe, architect and suffragist, born in 1887. That's quite clear as to, I would say that's true, that people find comfort in their own uh, groups and anything that challenges that is becomes uh, a problem and and threatening. And it's, it's happening in this country to a magnified degree where there is always now the threat of violence and they there are groups of people who think that you're taking my you're tyrannical because you're telling me i have to wear a mask and you could then say should you should we have speed limits on the roads is that taking away your freedom right yeah they would say they might say yes So in other words, anything that you don't want to do, you shouldn't have to do. Mm. You shouldn't have to pay taxes. You shouldn't have to. Why? Why is that not then anarchy in some way? It's sort of going in that direction. You know, there's definitely that thread that's been pulled. And it's to what degree we, we go, we let it unravel. I just hope, I hope. The, the I hope Biden and Harris can do some kind of job at either stemming that flow, redirecting some of the rage. I don't think, that, I don't think that's realistic. Yeah. I think it's so, the division is so deep. And this is not, it, it's more prevalent in this. There's so many people in this country that it's magnified again. But you see in in England and you see in Hungary and you see in many places a strain of this existing as well. Mm -hmm. And it always has and it always will. And you can close that off only so much. And, And you can't just flip a switch and say things are okay now. That this, the bad news is the damage that was done will continue for many years because people can think, well, there is no, you can do anything and get away with it. There's no consequence for doing anything, for speaking in any way you want to, for encouraging violence for whatever it is, there's no consequence. And now why wouldn't people just think, well, that seemed to work. I can do that as well. Yeah, sorry, it's just the movement of the, the, uh, well, we have an expression over here called the Overton window. I say over here. It's probably everywhere. I'm just politically ignorant, perhaps. But it's just basically works off the, the framework that one person says it's okay to go and, and buy a gun. And then in 10 years time, it's okay to actually buy a gun and then start shooting it at people. Um, and for that certain degree of people for it to be okay. Perhaps that, that's quite a crude example, perhaps. But essentially, over time, things get uh, diluted, you know, and and then before you know it, you've and part of a nation has fallen asleep. And they've woken up and they've got a a game show host, whoever the hell he was, um, as a you know a as a as a prime minister or a freaking you know. Well, and that's why, and that's why parody has been. Yeah. You know, you you still see occasionally these these spitting images pop up, and it's just sort of meaningless now because it's 
because of the reality of yeah. it, which is way more grotesque than any puppet with a awful grotesque face, mm-hmm. you know, with sniveling puppet. Th- these are now sniveling people mm-hmm. and people that are doing some serious damage. And imagine all those shows that were on in, in England when you were, before you were born, all those uh, political shows where they talked about the news, uh, you know, with Mel Smith and Mel Smith and Atkinson, all these people, yeah. they were doing what they did in this now gets closer to what I do or did, which was going back and uh, we're not really talking about what I do. And that's fine. The, <laughs> we will the, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> the world, no, I, I think this comes Absolutely. around to this. Absolutely. I've always been interested in my, my biggest, because I was going back and forth and my dad grew up in London and my grandfather and great grandfather were from Manchester and they were involved in, uh, they were Fabians. Oh, really? Okay. Which you can look up. Wow, okay. You can look that up in your no, I've been to the Fabian book. Society a couple of times, what have you. Yes, the Fabian Society, they were early members of that in the, in the 20s and 30s. Uh, I think H.G. Wells, Bernard Shaw, there were other people who were talking about those things but that my family's background and, and eventually my my grandfather uh who was a doctor went into politics and he was a, a labor mp and then he was uh, in the house of lords after that but my first i was split in the sense that my my impressions came from both countries and in terms of comedy a lot of it came from england and at a fairly early age i was exposed to english comedians by my dad okay. um and mainly uh in, in silent films and uh some, some american but some english as well and so your dad took a punt on silent films huh well my my dad um had an interest in comedy even though he what he ended up being in the United Nations, he was not a comic. Yeah. He was a he was a, a grown up. <laughs> but um, but I was I was uh, made aware of these people. And when I was twelve, we were in London and we went to visit some people. And I was introduced. This, they said, "Well, this uh, someone's house." I think it was. I'm not sure. I think it, it was in. I'm not sure. I thought it was in Camden Town, but it may not have been. They said, this is Jonathan Miller. And I was 12 years old. And I said, hello, nice to meet you. And they said, we're doing a show. Would you like to come and see it? And I said, yes. And I was taken to an early version of Beyond the Fringe. And that was quite explosive to me in terms of the possibilities of some four brilliant People so how old were you? That were old. I was 12. Jesus wept. 12. And I was, when one is 12, as you may remember or not, you're quite affected by things, music and other things. You're kind of a sponge. Mm-hmm. And I saw this show. <clears throat> I got the record. People then had record albums, the English version. We went back to the States 
And then they came over and did it on Broadway, and Jonathan and his wife stayed with us in, in, in New York. Okay. And that became the basis for this is a brand new thing, because you'd been looking, whether it was The Goon Show or broader comedies, and I was aware of all of this stuff going back, this was a new paradigm. This was definitely a new thing. Yeah. And when I was, I think, 17, I wrote a letter to Jonathan Miller saying, could I work with you? And he said, well, we're doing a movie. I'm directing a movie for the BBC called Alice in Wonderland. Why don't you come over and you can be my assistant? Which I did. What? And I was living at Jonathan's house. And his children then were fairly young, I guess. Good Lord. And I got to travel all over shooting, all over England. We shot in many places. And in that group of people, John Gielgud, Michael Redgrave, um, oh Peter Seller, oh there were all these people in this thing. And here I was now older, but still wide-eyed at this group of talent, Peter Cook. Talent? And later, that's, later, that's like royal family. Right, right, so. Good Lord. My, my version of this was, that was the bar then. The bar was to do something intelligent and, if possible, original. <clears throat> Subsequently, I got to work with, with, with Peter and, uh, and Dudley Moore when I was at the, working at the National Lampoon. And then the second wave of that, obviously, was Python after, after those. And it was, it was the, this evolution that you saw of people that were highly intelligent, but also funny. We don't have that in the States. We don't have, we have intelligent comedians. We do. But we don't have a movement where people, for the most part, the lampoon came out of Harvard. And there were people writing there, but it was not a performing thing for the most okay, part. Yeah. <clears throat> So that tradition uh, was spawned by Beyond the Fringe, because prior to that, you had single people, you had Tony Hancock, you had various people, but you didn't have that. So that, that, is, that is sort of, and, and in this country, no one knows what Beyond the Fringe is, they know Python. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so that's that influenced me in a, in a, in a big I'm just, way. I'm just, I, you didn't ask. I yeah, no. <laughs> it's just I just what you've just done there is just well, I I yeah you know a bit because you're 17 years old and and the, the guys you mentioned there, the exposure the, the I don't know whether you're 17 and it kind of helps because there's this certain level and I don't I can't speak to a 17 year old Christopher but perhaps there is a level of ignorance there that maybe aided you as in you didn't get overwhelmed you weren't overwhelmed by being around those people and you were able to learn rather than be blown away i think i was both i think i was um humbled and there's a <laughs> there's a feeling that you have when you're 17 which i think is healthy and it, which is i can do this yeah that's, that's what I mean, yeah. I, I think I can do this, uh, I think. Yeah, I'm good, watch me. Now, you don't know any better. You don't know any better. You just don't know. It's madness to think, well, I'm going to go out 
And here's what I do. I write and play different instruments. I do voices and maybe I'll do some things. Yeah. There's no reality. What are you talking about? You know? And I remember just thinking with some friends, Michael McKean and I were in university together. We were 18, yeah. writing songs together. He broke up with his girlfriend and he stayed at my flat, lived at my flat. And we just thought, well, this is what we do. This is, I guess this is just what we do. Whatever this is, that we're doing everything that we do every day with each other. This is just what we do. We didn't think, is this a job? Yeah. Is this a job where we make things up? Eventually ending up with movies that I've done, starting with Spinal Tap, where the idea of improvising, which is a completely different subject, but which did not exist. It never existed in the movie prior to that, where someone said, we're, we're going to turn on the camera. And these people somehow, this isn't just uh, whacking off. This is people who know how to do this in the way that a jazz musician knows what the what key you're playing in, and they know the melody. This isn't just random sort of, I'm going to talk and maybe some of this will be funny. Right. This is a thing. It's a band. So you have a band and because I play music and if you have people with different instruments, you sit down right away, you know, who can play, who's listening, whose turn it is to talk or play and how, and that it ends, it ends at the exact same time. Yeah. I made a record, an improvised record once and we finished playing this music in the studio and we all ended on the note and we looked at each other and thought, you can't explain this to people. Um, anyway, that gets off. No, 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 it's, it all ties so, in. A part of me that was arrogant and thought, and a youthful arrogance that thought, um, <laughs> yeah, that maybe I could do this. Yeah, I, I love that though. It's like a ticket. It's an absolute ticket to, um, I wouldn't say destiny because that can be a little, <laughs> that's a pretty, I don't know, Hollywood no, word. That gets in. Yeah, that gets into exactly, but it's and and and, and the my, a regret I have is because of I do things the way I do them, and occasionally I'll go on a Zoom thing or I'll go to a university and speak to young filmmakers, and they say they say how do you get started, which is a difficult question because it's a as you know it's. There's no real answer to that because it's luck and it's many other things. Absolutely. Someone may do you a favor. You may stumble into something that I can't really explain what I do to people. I can't teach what mm. I do on any level. Um, and that is a frustration because there are people who can teach things, obviously, but I, I can't, even though I've done things for 40 years now, 45 years. I've been but that's such an interesting point because I was really thinking about this earlier and, I, and it's a question I really wanted to put to you. Was, and it's such a basic but fundamental question. Um, you, you, I just don't think you can teach talent. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, that's just my... I, I think it's... No, no, you certainly can't teach yeah, talent. But, but there no, are people that make no a lot of money from it, right? Trying to. Well, there are people... There are people who, th there have been books published over the years, for many years now, that tell you how to write a screenplay. Right, yeah. 
and they say, I've never read one of these books, but they say on page 10, you need to establish this. On page, by, 20, by page 25, you need to have the two characters. The, the thing. Yeah. And my thought was always, who wrote this fucking book? <laughs> I don't know this person. <laughs> fucking movie ever. Not ever. Yeah. Show me the film that you made, all right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You wrote a book and you thirty quid for the book. Yeah. Oh yeah, good. So uh, the thought is, what are you talking about? That someone made it some sort of algorithmic uh, yeah. analysis yeah. of the script and said, Well, I see that what this great person did was but if they'd looked at another script, they may have thought uh-oh, there's trouble because now this person did it slightly different. Now what? Because they don't have talent and because you can't explain that. I, I was doing a film once as an actor and it was a movie. I had a small part in a little, movie little, called A Few Good Oh, I was going to say A Little Shop of Horrors, but okay. Yeah, that's a really small part. This is This is a movie that my friend Rob Ryan directed A Few Good Men, and it's about this Marine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that one. Don't you worry about that. Goodness me. So I, I play a doctor, a lying Navy doctor on the stand, and Tom Cruise is interviewing me. And while we were shooting, I, you could you go off for a while and sit around. And one of the Marine people who are assigned to be the expert, essentially, because they would say a Marine wouldn't do that or a Marine doesn't put their hat on, whatever. You always have those people on films. And he said to me, I heard that you write. And I said, well, I, ma I make movies and I write. And he said, so the first thing you think of is the, is the poster? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you think of how you're going to sell it. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, I'm walking on the street one day and I have an idea. And you could see his eyes just glaze over because you can't explain yeah. that. You can tell people, yeah. think of a concept or a high concept. What if the Queen of England married whatever it is, Me? some idiotic idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't think it's a joke. Hello? <laughs> Oh my God! Yes, Mum, Mum, me. Okay, is Philip all right? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't know that. I'm going to marry the Queen. I've got small children. Is that hello? Yeah, no, that could happen. But but someone thinking of a manufactured high concept yeah. thing, which is just bullshit, you know, as opposed to funny people sitting around in a room and just talking and something happens and, and you know this magic that you can't explain yeah so that it is a haunting feeling for me to be I, I i did one of these talks and i was sitting in front of an audience and so after having explained they showed one of my films there was a q a having explained how i as best i could and this person said let me ask you a question when you rehearse, do you like to? And I said, excuse me, we don't rehearse. Now, I had said that in this interview. I said, I write an outline. I discuss it with the actors, with each actor. They know exactly what happens in every scene. And then I turn on the camera and they talk. 
and I could use that take and put that in the movie. Amazing. And this person has this look yeah. on their face. I don't, I, of course you don't understand because you don't do this kind of work. Yeah. And it's not meant to say that everyone should do this work. There are many ways of doing comedies. Obviously people write brilliant comedy and they read it and they learn the lines and they do it. But you can't explain why someone's funny on screen. It's, I mean, honestly. Now that's subjective. It's subjective as well. Well, that, that's the thing, isn't it? And, but the chemistry you guys must have, the, the trust you must have, I mean, Recently, I sat down and, and um, with my friend and watched Waiting for Guffman, and I, I don't even know how that must have, must be like being behind the camera, being even when you know when you're in front as um, as Corky and what have you, um, knowing knowing well, the chemistry that's coming or or the risk that you're taking, not the risk, but well, I, again, I, I go back to the music thing because people musicians love to play, and we love to play in that way. There's no now, again, it's a small group of people who can do this. You can't just throw this to mm. people and say, let's all do this. Let's pick other funny people. And there are a lot of funny people out there who could never do this kind of work, yeah. which is fine. Not everyone should do this. It's okay. Um, but it's the same way. We're playing. Now we do what we know how to do, and we just do it. Yeah. You know, there's no... We just do it. We're playing. We're we're playing. We're playing with each other. We do trust each other. They tr Catherine O'Hara said the great thing about making these movies for her, she said, is that I don't feel the weight of having to come up with all of this. Yeah, you like your I don't have to feel as if holy fuck, I better come up with some good shit because these people are lame. And this is, that isn't the feeling. The feeling is uh, you don't have to solo. And the first thing I say to actors, if I haven't met them and I don't, there's nothing to read in terms of an audition. So I meet them and talk to them. I say, you don't have to say anything. If you're really listening and in the scene and behaving like a real person, you're doing your job. Yeah. And maybe you'll say something. And you never know where that's going to go. You know, you never know who's going to run with that. And, you know, they know the boundaries. It's again, it's not limitless. It's not as if someone was, is now going to talk about something that has nothing to do with the intent of the scene, but they know that the, the pressure isn't on them in the same way that people I've played with people where they nod at me, <laughs> they nod at me, now it's your turn, and I shake my no. head. Because I don't have anything at that moment. I don't have... Yeah, yeah, I feel that. And it, it's always a funny thing, that just the nod <laughs> and the look, which is I've just finished, and now they're they're playing, they're finishing their thing, and they kind of give you that look. And Perhaps it's easier in blues music. I think there's always a blues lick that everyone's got, even people that don't play guitar have got. Well, but in, the, here's the equivalent. The equivalent of musicians playing music and improvising, and it's not blues, it's just music, is that you don't fall back on cliches. The great players, if I'm playing blues, I can sit down with someone and play all those licks. I can play all those. That is death. That is... And that, in, in terms of improvisation, you're not repeating anything. This is completely original. This isn't something where you say, oh, I, I think I heard that in a, a different movie. No, you didn't. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, the best musicians I know 
don't repeat licks that you've heard where you think 20 different people I know who've played that same blues lick. And when you're learning to play, you do, you do learn those. Mm. If you ever get to the point where you don't have to do that, that's a pretty high. No, level. absolutely. I mean, it's that, that, that's people like Fred Willard, right? I mean, just dear Lord. I mean, that's, it's just, I mean, I was watching um, mascots just the other day as well. Um, and I hadn't seen that before. Um, and that's only what for. I'm very fond of that piece. Sorry. I think that was a really fun thing to do. Tom Bennett is amazing. Tom Bennett, an English actor. Uh, Chris I'm Dowd, so glad you uh, said him because t- 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 Tom Bennett, because he really is. He is. So, uh, first, he, I, well, I met him and cast him in Family Tree. If you haven't seen Family I, Tree, I seen it, it yet, was no. a show that I did, and I cast him to play Chris O'Dowd's best friend. Yeah. And we did one season. And I would say that I met Tom in London, I was casting this in London, and he walked in, and within a minute I knew he was the, the person wow. the same with Chris and here we are in in London the same thing we had the same layout for these scripts these eight scripts which was the the outline it was about someone trying to learn about their the history of their family because I had just been through that with various uh, ancestry people to talk about the history of my family going back and all this business. And I thought, this is a fascinating thing. So we did this show for HBO and Tom and Chris, it was as if they had known each other their whole lives. We were at, we were in a railway station, a real working railway station. And there they are sitting, turn on the camera. And they, they're meant to be mates from going back when they were five years old both Spurs supporters and <laughs> right away into these incredible. Now there were guidelines in the outline where I, I said, try to hit on this and that, but Tom goes into this thing. Well, you're not brave. You're not a brave person. And, and Chris says, I was the first person to wear skinny jeans in our, in our group. <laughs> That's not great. Do you remember we were outside, we were outside White Hart Lane and these people ran away. We were running away. They were trying to harm us. And they were going as if they had known each other and done an act for their whole yeah. lives. And it was so joyful to see them. And then I cast Tom in that. And we, we just uh, had a big, just last week we corresponded. Brilliant. and. He's moved, he's moved from Brighton to a different place and uh-huh. whatever thing. He is brilliantly talented man and also um, one of the nicest I was gonna people. S- but you should watch the work they do together in, 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 I'm in, going that, to. in family I've- pop. Yeah, because that's wow. That Definitely made a mental note. That, that that is so it's so true. I don't because yeah, I know there's there's it is um mascots that's again outlined and, and improvised. Um Same yeah. thing. Same, same exact way. Because yeah. and when I, when I first went to um, to Netflix to talk to them about this idea, this was before they had exploded into what they were. They were twelve people working in the office, and I talked to the head of the company and I said, "Jesus, I'd like to do this movie about this and that." He said, "Do it." Wow. And I said, "You know how I work." He said, "I do." 
just go and make the movie. And I made the movie the same way I make all of the films I've made. They give you the means to do it. And, uh, wow. God. Yeah. What, what a, so, so, so. That's freedom. Same it's character. So, it's so, so, sorry to interrupt. So this is a bloody annoying thing about Zoom is interrupting one another. But um, it's just my, my sheer enthusiasm here, Christopher. That's all it is. Um, but I just love the fact that that happened. That's such a lovely little story because... There's well, so much cynicism. Let me, right? let me, the, here, here, there's a good, there's good news and bad news about the next thing I will say, which is that I, I do say to people, and this doesn't help anyone. It, it could help someone, but when we were doing Spinal Tap, we, the, the four of us knew each other and we came up with this idea. We went to every studio in Los Angeles and the heads of the studios would say, I'm sure you've heard this, but I mean, maybe from McKean or whoever, they said, I don't understand what this is supposed to be. It, it's these rockers who think they're, but is this supposed to be funny, they, they said? We think it is, yeah, we think it's funny. I, well, I don't think it's funny. So basically get out of here. Next head of the studio. And when we had shot 20 minutes, we took the money that they were paying us to write this, this other place, and we sh gave them 20 minutes and they looked at that and they said, what is this? Who are these people? Well, that's us actually. Really? Oh my God. But, but I, what is this? Is this, what is this supposed to be? It's a film. And clearly this was not getting through. <laughs> Rob had a relationship with Norman Lear and Norman said, go and make the movie. Years later, Rob started a company, Rob Reiner, called Castle Rock. Yeah. Essentially, so he could make movies and they could do whatever they wanted to do. And he said to me, do you have any ideas that you would like to do? And I said, I do have an idea. He said, what is it? I said, well, it's a small town. There's a man that runs a theater. He said, go and make the movie. Wow. So this idea of a generational passing on of trust. And he said, I'll basically, I'll see you at the premiere. Dear God. This is Dear your God. movie, which is what Norman said to Rob. And Rob edited that movie for a year and a half, Spinal yeah, Tap. Yeah. I edit my movies for a year. And Netflix said to me, Ted Sarando said, go and make your movie. Now, you can't say this to a, the thousands of people coming out of film school. No. Well, wait a minute. Christopher Guest yeah. said, did I tell you the idea? And then you say, go and make your movie. Now, I was fortunate that that happened. You can't extrapolate necessarily and say, well, that's, this is what's going to happen to everyone. But it showed the power of that. And my version of that is to <clears throat> give talented people work, keep giving the same people work. And my newest thing is to give my guitar collection away to musicians who can't on their own get great instruments. Yeah, yeah. So what I've done in the last 10 years is, and there's some of them are friends, and they're not necessarily able to go out and buy a $25,000, $50,000, $100,000 instrument. 
and it's gifted yeah. because they're really talented and they should have that and they should be able to go on to do what they do. Uh, and I've given money to young guitar makers to, and that is how you pass this on. If you're not passing this on, then it's horrible. No, no, I completely agree. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, it's interesting that you say that because um, I can play guitar and um, I could do with a instrument if you fancy. I mean, you know, I mean, I know the oh, I know the post okay. it's gonna cost a little bit in let packaging. But let's see what I have left. You got a fender? Got a fender. I mean I really Well I that's the level of just naming guitars. You you have to be more specific. Well, you would say do you have a nineteen fifty three telecaster? I was, I was gonna say do you have a do maybe you? a nineteen fifty five Buddy Holly uh, maybe sort of like um, not necessarily doesn't have to be sand sandy, but definitely a black um, scratch plate. And I want decent pickups. I don't want to be authentic and falling it's apart. You have, to be more you have to be more specific, um, even in the pickup. Okay, you have to be. If you're playing this game, here's the game. Okay, here's the, here's game. the game. Oh, he's getting the guitar. Oh, no. I mean that. I'll have that. How? What's? Yeah. Well, look how quick. Look how quick you are. Tell me what this is first. Of what, all. I mean, it's a twelve-string, is it? No, it's not. Sure. What no. the hell is that? Oh, okay. It's a Gibson. It's not a Gibson. It's in the, the Gibson. In the in the twenties, Gibson guitars said the Gibson. This is a Mando cello. Can I point at it? Can, no. can I look at it? <laughs> no. This was made in 1916. Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? That is the most I'm beautiful guitar. That looks spanking. That's like it's off. This is not a guitar. It's a Mando cello. Mando cello. And that is a, a Mando cello. A Mando? <laughs> oh, that is a thick sound. Can you play? Can you play a bit again? That was beautiful. The mando cello. There's a mandolin, which is also an eight-stringed instrument. Yeah, okay. There's a mandola, which is the equivalent of a viola, a viola, yeah. and there's the equivalent of the cello in that family. And this was used in these parlor groups. This was used as the low voice in doing things. I show this to you because it happens to be the thing I was recording the other well, day. Well, you know, it's beautiful, but, uh, but I mean, I'm, I still want it. I mean, I know you, you like it. It's 1916, but I, I still well, think I should have it. Just so. learn to live with disappointment. Mm, okay. Okay. I mean, yeah, I can. I can. I, I, I will learn, but you know. Yes. I've, I'm doing well with the giving away. I'm down to uh, maybe five. And I'm going to keep two, I imagine, uh, to have. I have what about, mandolin. What about the bike? I have have got, what about the bike? I'll have, I can have the bike. You just want... I just want... You, I just want... Will, will want. Will wants, will get. That's, that's, the, um, that's the talk on the street. Want, just anything in this room you're looking at, you want. Yeah, I mean, it's become... It, I've, the, I've become demented. It's sad. It's, um, 
Yeah, so I have some lovely instruments. I have some lovely instruments, and I've been uh, giving them to people with with the most pleasure I could have, giving giving nice instruments away, and then hearing what they do with them. Mm. No, I, I I I get that. I mean, I hope I can pass stuff down to my kids one day. I don't know what that will be. Uh, but I, I know that it's uh, it's devilishly important. Can't believe I just said devilishly. God, I sound like a, I don't know, a Dutch, not a Dutch. I sound like a posh, really posh person. Um, um, Are you sitting on a staircase? I'm not yeah, quite clear where I'm I am. Thinking. I'm sat on a staircase. It's literally, it, Wi-Fi in this house is, an, a, is a joke. I mean, it is an absolute joke. And, and the, there's something embroidered on the wall. Yeah, that was... Um, given to me by the Dalai Lama. Um, well, actually, it wasn't the Dalai Lama. He was his uncle. And uh, we were drunk halfway up Everest. And he was like, done with this. Just take take this yeah. take this with you. And uh, give it yes. to someone you love. And I uh, met my wife. And uh, Halfway up. And tell me, tell me Will, yeah? halfway up would be what elevation? Oh, I think it's, I mean, I mean you know, does it, does it matter? I mean, you know, meters. Says to me, because I've climbed mountains, so I'm. You, you pick the wrong thing to. I think, mate. Let's say thirteen and a half, thirteen and what? A couple of thousand feet? I don't know. Um, I mean, I mean, how how big is how big is Everest anyway? Halfway would be fourteen and a half thousand feet. I mean, I I work in. Um, you were in that zone. Yeah. Um, that's weird because the Dalai Lama himself, not his friend, gave me this watch. He just really he, he, he you'd think that he would be a person that was not uh, concerned with material items because he's on another plane. Sure, but he just gave this and and he gave you that that pen. What was it? You were in a cab or something, and he just sort of said. Did you just? Uh, I was just walking down the street. He was walking down the street. And he what? He and he stopped. I said, "Don't want to hear it," you know. And he, I insist. What he? What he just? Here's my watch. Here's my pen. That's interesting. I mean, I find it. I find it hard to believe. But I mean, then again, we live in that world now. You know. Now I think about it. I think about it now. That probably wasn't the Dalai Lama because this. This. Why would he have been? No, I, I'm thinking I'm probably wrong that that wasn't the actual. Well, no, if you narrow it down. So let me, let me retract that story. Okay, but if you narrow it down, I mean, it depends what street it was in which town. It's likely, you know. I think yes. my my wife and daughter did meet the actual Dalai Lama. In in actual met the. I did not have that audience, but they did meet him. Rude. You must be. Uh, well, this is uh, this is now late for you yeah well, it's, it's half past nine well which is you know and the young one keeps waking up yeah well you know kind of right. yeah oh my god it's one of, middle name middle name we don't we don't have a middle name yet no it's no it's it's too it's too it's like middle names are a hard one anyway you always offend someone within the family what do you mean you didn't use that that's the point yeah that's the whole point of doing it i think in the old days, in the before you were born and before your dad was born, even um, people had many names. My dad was Peter Michael Albert Hayden Guest. Oh wow! Okay, that was very common, very common to, of that era. And he was born in nineteen thirteen yeah. to have 
that many names. Yeah, that that's extraordinary. That's a hand-me-down. I only Christopher Hayden guest. But, you, that's but you've got to live up, all, you know, you've got to live up to a lot of that stuff. But I um, I, I think it's quite funny because in, in terms of names and what have you, and this really crossed my mind the other day, in terms of the names that you give your, your characters, uh, they're, they're without a doubt, they are, and correct me if I'm wrong, which you, you, well, you have to do, but um, in, in my mind, they're kind of really, really well thought out. Like this is going to, this is going to tickle someone in a way that it's, it's going to last for years kind of thing, like David St. Hubbins or... Oh, I think it's, it's one of the most fun parts of this process. And I've written four or five uh, films with Eugene Levy. Yeah. And I've written with Jim Piddick and some other people. It's one of the most fun parts. It takes about six months to come up with the story and the back history of all the characters and the names. And that is one of the most fun parts of it, for sure, is to come up with the names. And it's extremely important. You just can't, I think. What are, what are like some of your favorite, favorite names? And also, I wanted to ask you about costumes as well, because I think costume is so often overlooked in, in film, and, and it plays a such an important role to inhabiting characters, especially within improvised comedy. Um. I don't know if I have a favorite in terms of names. In, in Spinal Tap, we came up with our own names. Oh, really? Okay. Um, well, that's we wrote it. So we, but the in, I, I came up with Nigel's name, and and McKean came up with his name, and Harry came up with his name, and um, but when I'm doing a film, writing a film with Eugene, we talk about the names, and it's. It, it's it's a joyful time. It makes us laugh, and it's incredibly. I can't think of my favorite in particular, but they're all. They have to sound right. Mm. The the girlfriend in Spinal Tap. Uh, that name came from a young woman I knew in college. Her last name was Pettibone. Okay. Yeah. And in the film that June Chadwick plays. Uh, <laughs> The, wo- the woman that comes between Nigel and David. And her her name was, uh, we named her last name Pettibone. And that came up and it just sounded like the right thing. But I can't go through the no, whole no, of course. No, no, no. It's just some, some of them just really hit you. I got like just. That's just, the point, sure. Yeah. I, they're, they're, it's a serious undertaking. It is not a casual thing to come up with the names. Obviously, not to put myself in the same class but if you if you read dickens and he's one of my favorite authors if not the favorite those are outer limits names those are names that are meant to be lapsed through history and do Uh, our names are meant to be realistic names but still have some something unique about them yeah yeah absolutely not to stand out so much but to be appropriate i should no, say no no i i think I, maybe that yeah that's kind of why we're i think we're connected a slightly bit there on the the legacy of names and and, and the, it is it's quite funny but i think <laughs> i don't do you know what i think it is i think in spinal tap it's one of those things where he goes is it already already fucking polymer records or whatever and he keeps saying it and saying and then yeah. then and then the subtitle comes up his name comes up and that is just sure. uh, well it's it's taking a joke a funny name 
saying it more than once and then seeing it. And that is the, that is the, that's the little symbol at the end of that, the timing of that. How that's not, none of that's accidental. That is all Edit, yeah. uh, intentional, obviously, and specific. Uh, going back to Fred Willard, something which I had only talked about to a couple of other people about was that when Eugene and I would lay out these movies, we'd be in our office and have cards on the wall that were this big. I still have them somewhere with the names and the numbers of the acts and the scenes. Let's say you have three acts and you have 10 scenes per act. Yeah. They're color coded for the different characters. And we would sit back and then look at this as it was laid out and think, no, we can't do, uh, we can't do that because the audience will not have seen Fred for 15 minutes. That's too long. Mm. There's a lift when Fred comes on screen. Damn straight. That is palpable. Now, a screenwriter would never know that because if they're not a performer, they would say, this is how this lays out. This is the thing. And it, it's, it's great. But they don't know that the person, they don't know who the person is who's even going to be playing that person. And they certainly don't know the effect, which many times an editor will just say, well, this actor did this and that actor was not really pulling their right. weight. So that actor's not really in the movie so much or vice versa. We knew as the creators of this, having worked with Fred, what we called the Fred effect, which was this needs to be recognized in a serious way. You cannot make him disappear for 20 minutes or whatever the yeah. time was. And to know, boom, he's back here again. And when you sat and watched an audience watching these movies, there was a perceptible lift in the audience. Yeah, I mean, I'm it's, it's perfect you say that because I found that just, just the other day when I was watching mascots i mean you know with the with the knowledge knowing that fred had passed thinking oh i mean you know i'm going to for you know what two three years before he, he passed but i was just sort of thinking um this guy is unbelievable like absolutely unbelievable. It's, it's, on, it's on a completely different plane of everything there was no there's no way to compare that to anything else and he was, what was different was he was a soloist, uh, purely a soloist. What we do as the rest of the company is work, uh, the thing I was explaining of, we're in a scene, it's going back and forth. This person says something, this person doesn't say. With Fred, and I would say to the other actors working with Fred, I'd say, don't even try. Yeah. Don't even, this is not about you just enjoy the ride and be real. And in Best in Show, he, which is a movie. Oh no, I've, I've seen that many thousands of times, my friend, that is. He does this commentator placed with an expert. Yeah. And Jim Pitt, who's English, yeah. plays the expert. And I said to Jim, you know, this, you need to, yeah, exactly. Poor Crystal Pals, well, they got, the other day it was bad last week yeah was... jesus wept they're mad mad team are you a crystal palace no 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 no, no, no. southampton southampton football really that's interesting yeah, yeah. 
That's interesting. I'm I'm interested in in how that happens because it's a to think about all the just with just in London alone how many clubs there are, but I've spent a lot of time thinking about that idea that your families, your father and his father, and this goes back. And when we were when we were doing uh, mascots, this was a big discussion. Oh, okay. Jim being Crystal Palace person, and um, I'm going to leave the, the room for one second. Okay. Just okay. one second. I'm not leaving the room. I'm actually taking a picture off the. Oh wow! Okay then. That's me and my dad. Oh my good god! Wowzers! You look. You look like about what? Seventeen. No, I was all probably in my twenties, okay. but this is uh, those people. Is that for United? Yeah. So. Well, so this is the, when I was young. Young. Um, I thought. Well, I. I played this game. I like to play it. I like this. I thought, well, there's so many. My dad was not a person that followed football at all. And I thought, well, my grandfather, who I knew just a little, hit my great grandfather were from Manchester. Hmm. Okay. Now, at the time, Manchester City was, and Oldham were just these low level. Right, to, and all, still I like reminding so Man City thought, fans. Well, I'll, 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 I'll go with that. I'll go with that. And uh, now I'm obviously suffering the thing that everyone does over a wave of time, where you say, "Well, remember when they were good? Remember when who were good? Sheffield Wednesday? No, no I don't remember <laughs> that. When we were writing mascots, we we were in. And no, this one we were doing Family Tree. Actually, Jim and I, Jim Pittock and I, took the tube to Leighton Orient. Oh, okay. See game. And I said, this is my second team that I follow. This is the second team I follow because they're in such a low division. I find this fascinating. So we went and it was that other world, a really different world. This is not. And because we went to see uh, a match at Crystal Palace and that is, has the perfect sort of neighborhood. Yeah generational thing where it's kind of perfectly set they're sort of in the middle of the table they figured that out where they you know when they got into that position now we're talking about <laughs> but the idea that um, i find it fascinating when people have this very specific thing it's not just random now you i'm assuming you grew up in london i could be wrong so that to pick southampton because yeah. that was not well, happen? yeah, I mean, south of yeah, of London, but I mean, yeah, it's just. But it, do you know what? It's just a. It if it really comes down to it, if I'm brutally honest, it's just because I hated all my friends supporting Manchester United and and Liverpool. Well, and that's the th and that's yes, and that is the backlash of what happens. I have friends in different parts of London who are Arsenal supporters, that are Spurs supporters, that are what, what, whatever they are. We went to see a game at Fulham, and. I thought, well, first of all, this is the greatest pitch in the world because of where it's located on, on the river. Yeah. And you come out there and have the thing and you're watching this. <laughs> yeah. and it's, sad team. it's this incredibly sad team. 
but all of, so if you if you grow up in that part of London in West London, I can see that your grandfather and you still follow them and you do the thing, and you have to suffer with that yeah. thing. And Man United had the opposite because I didn't pick them thinking, well, this is this juggernaut of it was really the, before that really even started. Truthfully, oh, yeah. it was before that that run of well, this is now sickening because get get the, get out of here. This is horrible. It was kind of just a geographical. Yeah, well, but it, it, it's something within you. That high. Yeah. Yeah. There's that high of thinking, wow, these people are good. This is high. And then, amazingly, that crash, which is incredible, which is what every fan should go through because the reality of that is, oh, this is. And I watch in a very different way now. I watch in a very different way. And I can, I'm not emotionally dragged through this thing anymore i'm just watching well I'm, i still haven't learned that so i maybe when i when i'm older i will be able to but unfortunately i, I don't it's a useful thing when you get older not to rage be, because i i have friends that are older than i am that go into a week of depression when they have a you know and, and i think that's not a good no. thing but it's hard to separate it's hard to separate and if you have a, a perennial bad team as your team it's it's even trickier. But yeah, it's like yeah, just you've got to back away. You've got to learn to sort of. And how do you? The, the thing that interested me about Powers was I, I got to meet the man that runs oh, the pa team. Uh, or the manager or or, or Alan Parrish. The, the owner. Yeah. yeah. Steve, isn't it? Steve. Sorry, I always think Alan um, Pardew, but yes, uh, Steve Parrish. No. Um. Uh, Jim Pittick knew him, and I had no really acknowledge because that team was so under the radar and it was in this time this very year that we were working on this project that the team uh made it up into the premier and i could be mistaken but the way i thought they're looking at this is the smartest way of all because i, I could be wrong but i don't think they were thinking okay now we've made it we're going to the mm. top because if you look at this and think if we can stay up here and play in the middle of the table and play to that level, the amount of money we're going to make and we'll do well, that next level is, a, as you know, to be in the top four is a whole other it's, world of having to have money. Yeah. And it's maybe not realistic. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it, but it's, it's nice to dream, isn't it? And then maybe you win the title like Leicester did and then you can dream forever. But I And that's, that throws everything into the into this crazy world of thinking. Now everyone will think, wait a minute, because I look at what when I'm reading, I'm not reading Premier League, I'm not reading Champions League, I'm not reading League One, I'm lead, reading League Two tables. Oh, really? And seeing where Leighton Orient is. Oh well, yeah, no, that's the heart, the heart of football lies there. They went they went from champions. That's a tough one because now, okay, now second, okay, League Two, League One, yeah, League Two. They went out of League Two. Yeah, yeah. I know. And you may, you could tell me where, where's, where, what that's called? What League League Two? Just League Two. They, they after League oh, Two. No, no well, after it, it's it's called the Van it's the Vanarama, but it used to be called the Vauxhall Conference. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. How many people do you know that could pull that out and say, oh, yeah, he's well, this. No, yeah, no, they, no, it might well be those. It's those people near the, 
the, the, the Battersea Power Station playing on Sundays, those lads that are playing and then go to the pub, that's where they got to, that yeah. place where there is, uh, I, it was extraordinary. And then they got up to League, now they're in League uh, Two. If, if you want something sobering, try, try I know. to look through those But teams. it's funny because... Because you I think your love of I think your love of um, football is quite is coming through here in um, and I'm, I'm thinking here about a little bit in terms of best and sh- best and shown and mascots just to uh, pick one out of my head but um two examples because I, I, lo- I love I love the fact that there there is the underdog right the underdog factor and oh. and it and it does you, you first with these films you just think it's out and out comedy uh, this is just going to be for sh- not for shits and gigs but it's just it's out and out comedy but then as, as the movie progresses the heart of the sh- of the film starts coming out and then you just go with it and then by the end of it you're like oh, am I am I crying am I having a bit teary teary eyed here with C- oh. Catherine O'Hara or what have you I think that's the single biggest thing when. I thought of, well, I had the opportunity to do the first thing I did. I thought this to me personally is nothing if it hasn't got an emotional part of it. And if you look at Spinal Tap and you look at the relationship in those scenes between- your fucking wife. My character, exactly. <laughs> if you look at the scene between those two guys and you see this sort of platonic love affair, these guys grew up playing music together, they're best of friends, the classic thing of the woman coming in the middle, it's been talked about in rock and roll and thinking if we don't have that element, then what is this? This is just jokes and people, you know, that was the heart of that. And I think in Guffman, the heart is each movie has its own thing in a movie I did about folk singers um, called the mighty wind. There's a incredibly, deeply emotional thing with Eugene Levy and Catherine, they split up and he's a damaged person. And this moment where they sing the song where they're supposed to kiss, it has to, for me, now there are people who just say, look, it's fine. We'll just write some jokes and do a thing. But for me, that is the point. And it gets down to life, which is about that. That is what life is about. It's not about anything else really when you come down to it, because if you don't have feelings and emotional Mm -hmm. stuff, then then you're in this political world that we were in in the last four years here, where you're looking at no, robot yeah. people, people with no no compassion, with no that just don't give a shit. Mm. And that's they were brought up to think everyone's out to get me. I'm going to get them first. Period. Mm. And then mm. that's where you are. The emotion that comes out in football is perhaps different because you become the, the term fanatic fan is from fanatic yeah. and fanatic is someone who's not really thinking all that clearly because you see i've been there i've been in that place there was a match maybe four or five years ago with united where they were within 20 seconds of of winning that year yeah. and they lost in the last minute or less and i remember thinking just feeling like the rug that was pulled out and thinking, oh, you know. Man, you should try and support uh, England in a World Cup. Like, well, especially in 2018, that was bloody horrific. Or did you? I say this to people all the time. On my shelf is a team jersey from the, Eng- the English team. Oh, really? And 
which I wear when I go to my friend's house and we watch World Cup and he wears his German one. And I look at him and I say, look, I said, you don't understand. This is hopeless for England. It's hopeless. This can't ever work out. Yeah. Don't listen to anyone who says, well, they seem to have a pretty good thing. And I say to him, you have a good team. You will always have a good yeah. team. That's different. And I said, this is, I am not delusional in thinking this, we have a hope. So I sit there and watch wearing this thinking, oh, okay. Yeah. No, this, but I'm not dragged down because I know this is hopeless. Well, that's cool. It's completely mental. Yeah, but you've got good perspective. I, I've had that a couple of times against Spurs, funnily enough. But this is turning into a, a football conversation, which is fine. I don't mind. But just, I do, I just do want to say I, I have had that with, with Southampton. Many, I've been able to engage in a kind of, look, we're going to lose. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Like when we were playing Manchester City the other day, I was like, that's fine. That's fine. But but then when we played Arsenal, I was it's like, not God. Funny, but you're picking you're picking the wrong team. Pick pick someone <laughs> your own size God. because yeah. no no. I'm, but I'm serious because if you if you what happened the other day with Crystal Palace, which was really dramatically horrible. But if they lose to to Liverpool, there's not really that much expectation. It's going to be yeah. them with seven at seven no. There's a reality moment in this, and there there can be weird things that happen. But you live in the world. I know people who say, "Well, who do you support?" Aston Villa. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, there you go. You have a you have a little bit of a road ahead of you, uh, <laughs> but you're not expecting to go in and beat Man City, or you're just thinking. This is, let's see what we can do yeah, here. Manage you your know? expectations, for Christ's sake. Just manage your expectations. That's, that's you true. Know, think, manage expectations. Yeah. But um, I think I'm going to, annoyingly, I have to go. Um, All right. Oh, I, I, I'm amazed that you took the time. Um, uh, I'm grateful that you took the time to speak. It's nice to meet you over this. I don't want to sound too sycophantic, but I I adore I adore your work. I really do, and I mean mean that from my heart. And I think that what you do is so important, and it's so personal to so many people, and it's a, a rare, rare, rare thing. Well, I, I appreciate that. I I, I do appreciate. It. I really do. I appreciate that. I'm not a person that has that goes out in the world and uh, with a sign. I I don't. I've never had a publicist in my life. I don't. I'm uncomfortable doing mm -hmm. that. But I like talking with intelligent people and. That's been a lot of okay. fun. So. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> Be well and take care of the baby. And uh, Thanks so much. Look after yourself. I'll try. See you, Christopher. Okay, Be well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>